when we get closer, when we get down on their level, one, it disen disengages like what we look like and disarms us, right? So we no longer look like a bear coming at our kids. We no longer, we can be shouting and super happy if we're like, hey kids, it's time for dinner. Come on. All they hear is, mom, it's she must be mad. You know, they don't really know what we're saying. And so if we can actually, and I forget it too, I'll be in the kitchen and my husband will be like closer and lower, honey. I'm like, oh, you know, they're old enough, just come down. So that's the, that's the benefit of having an 18 year old. I can text and be like, it's time to come to dinner. You know, like, so at least I don't have to always walk up to their room. Um, but it is that it's that like that split second of like, do I want to yell this across the room or across the park? This is a really common practice and it's, it changes your relationship so much just by doing that closer and lower. You'll actually notice your kids will start moving closer to you to hear what you're saying instead of you always being the one that has to move closer to them. Hello and welcome to the Minimalist Moms podcast. Are you looking to transform family dynamics or help your kids become more empowered, confident, and independent? If so, today's conversation will be helpful to you. I'm excited to share my conversation with educator and author Dana Abraham. She discusses why traditional parenting can fall short in certain situations, her stop, breathe, anchor technique for parental calm, coping strategies to reduce stress, and her perspective on timeouts and something that may work better for you. Dana was incredibly easy to talk to, and she genuinely just wants to help parents create a home that supports healthy kids. So I'm excited to share this episode with you today. I will have a bonus episode coming out on Friday, and then next week we're going to get back into decluttering with my guest, Christy Edwards. But until then, let's get to the conversation with Dana. Dana, thanks so much for joining me today on the Minimalist Moms podcast. I am super excited to be here. Thanks for having me. We are going to talk about your new book that you released, so I can't wait to get into it. But before we start, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah, so I'm Dana Abraham. I'm the founder of Calm the Chaos Parenting and the new book, Calm the Chaos, a fail-proof roadmap for parenting even the most challenging kids. And I help parents create better relationships with their kids by helping them empower themselves and their kids. So right off the bat, I'm going to ask you a hard question. Why do you think that you have the answers in this book? Oh, okay. So first and foremost, I don't think that it's the end all be all or that there's a cookie cutter one size fits all for any child. The reason I think that this book is the roadmap for parenting all kids and even the most challenging ones is because it's not do this, say this. Instead, I've taken best practices of science and communication, relationships, psychology, child development, and figured out that there are four essential ingredients that you need when you're creating relationships, when you're going through challenges. And then I figured out a roadmap that we all go through these main stages of being in the middle of just like the worst situation to getting our time and energy back all the way to creating a relationship that is thriving. And with those two things, with this system of a framework and a roadmap, it allows parents to be able to adapt it to their unique situation, to their background, to what they know about their kids. I don't want parents to feel like they have to give up their agency or their expertise or all of their power away to some quote unquote expert. I want to empower parents to be able to figure it out on their own. Yeah, absolutely. And your methodology helps kids, like you said, become empowered, confident, and independent. How many kids do you have? I have three kids. I have an 18, 16, and 10-year-old. 
Okay. So you wrote this from personal experience. And I'm also curious to know why you chose to write this book. Yeah. So I wrote it from all sorts of different types of experience. So I was, quote unquote, that kid growing up that didn't feel like they fit in, that struggled to make friends, that was considered too loud, too much, too emotional. And then my brother was bipolar. And so I, or is, and I was at the receiving end of a lot of aggressive meltdowns. And so I had to learn how to deal with chaos at a very young age. When I went into teaching, my favorite kids were the kids that came with a paper trail behind them that the other teachers talked about in the staff lounge. And the parents would come and kind of hang their head and be like, I'm sorry, here you go. Good luck. So when I had my first kid, I thought I'm going to be the world's best parent. Unfortunately, that isn't what happened. And I was given a child that really tested anything and everything I knew about child development, about education, about parenting, all these things I thought I knew when I was teaching now we're being tested. And he really struggled. He got kicked out of preschool. He was in trouble in kindergarten. He was suspended in first grade. And by second grade, he was kicked out more days than he was even in school. And so what led me to writing this book is that over the last 10 years, I've been sharing our journey. I've been sharing our story online. And you know, I thought I was so alone. And I found out that there are millions of other parents out there who are walking this same journey, who are dealing with similar things. And as I was creating and finding these things that were working, I started sharing it and fine tuning it and really just diffusing it down to the most minimalist pieces that you need to make progress. And now that's been tested by tens of thousands of parents around the world with all different situations. So I know that it works. I believe in this methodology. I have seen the results of families around the world, all different age children, that I believe in it so much that I know that this is a way to create a more accepting world, a world full of more hope and children who know that they are enough just as they are. One thing that keeps sticking out to me about what you said was the school element. And I do homeschool my oldest and then my boys are going to go to preschool and then first grade this year. But what I think about when I hear from friends are, I just think with public school, the teachers don't have the time to focus on our child's specific needs. Or if you do have a more eccentric child, I think it's just sad. Like, I don't know how you fix it. Maybe read your book. It would be a great resource for teachers to read and utilize. But it does make me just think about how much more parents are going to have to come in and I guess kind of not course correct, but we really do have to feel empowered ourselves to help empower our children because they're not going to necessarily get the one-on-one attention that they might need throughout their days. So I'm excited to dig more into your methodology. Did you have anything to say about that? I was just going to say that 100% we have to empower ourselves as parents and we have to be able to advocate for our kids until they can advocate for themselves. And that's something that I have seen with this methodology is whether the school is on board or not, or the school is able to support our kids or not. What I have seen is that not only are the parents the one going to the school and saying, this is what works well for my child. These are some signs to watch out for. But now the kids are going to school and they're actually implementing the whole methodology with their friends. So the teachers will find them in a corner huddled up with a group of students talking about their concerns, their wishes, and how they'd like to solve the problem. And then they take it to the teacher. And now they are the ones advocating for their friends for a more in-tune classroom or a more accepting classroom. And so the ripple effect of this is huge. 
Absolutely. Like I said, a great resource for teachers to utilize. So I want to get into the book and the practicals here. So you say that traditional parenting becomes ineffective in certain situations. Why is this true? Well, I think that traditional parenting, and what I mean by that is this top-down approach as like parents are in charge, kids are to be seen and not heard. And luckily, a lot of that is changing. And a lot of that belief that that's how we should parent our kids is changing. But there is this still prevailing idea out there and this myth that parents are the ones that are supposed to be firm and in charge and kids are there to learn from the parents. And I think that what happens when we do that, we're missing one, the relationship and we're missing that trust and that communication at a very deep level with our kids. Two, Our kids get this idea that they're there to be fixed, that they need to comply at all costs. And so when they grow up, they either are really big people pleasers and they do whatever people ask them to do and they don't have a voice of their own or the opposite side, they are pushing against every system possible, but they don't have the tools to actually advocate for themselves. Let's say we're trying to help a child who is pushing the boundaries on electronics or they're pushing the boundaries on the foods they're eating or those sorts of things. If we just come in and place a new rule on our kids, then we're not actually solving the need underneath why they're doing what they're doing. I saw a post the other day from someone on Instagram and she had moved her 14-year-old's bed. And she goes, well, I guess that no food upstairs rule isn't really working because under the bed, there was like all these wrappers and all this trash where the kid had been hiding the food that they had been eating. So the rule is not the answer. Understanding what the need is, what is going on under the surface, why it's happening, coming up with a plan that works for both parties is how you're going to create solutions that teach lifelong skills. Yeah, it really comes back down to that relationship element that I don't want to say past generations were missing because you've always had the outliers. But I even think about my own childhood and growing up and I was really, really close to my parents. And yet there was still this just element that was missing. And I do think with research and we can look back and we can say, okay, this was good, but maybe we don't want this moving forward for future generations. Because I do think that you're right. It has caused people to become people pleasers or just get in an unhealthy habit. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of it too, is we end up being resentful of our kids or we end up assuming our kids are doing things for a certain reason. But what you just said, how many times do our kids rebuttal and it's taken as talk back? And then the parent says, don't talk back to me or how dare you talk to me like that. When really the kid either doesn't have the skills to say what they're thinking or feeling without it sounding like a rudeness or abrasiveness, or they really do have these questions that they need to understand to be able to make decisions and move forward. I used to be like that as a parent, and I still will fall into that tendency of, I don't need to give you a reason, like I've just asked you to do something. But I will also say, I didn't want to take the time in that moment to explain myself. I just wanted my child to be like, mom's the authoritarian, I'm the ruler. And I don't know if there is space or room for that in parenting. I would have to think that through. But I do think that it's my role to raise my children, to bring them up. And it's my job to answer their questions or someone else is going to, and it might not be with the answer that I want them to give. And I think that it's important. So in the moment is a hard moment to be talking about, like in the moment when you're like, I just want you to listen to me. And so you can say something like, now's not the time to have a discussion about this. I need you to do it right now, but I would love to have a discussion later so we can solve this. 
it's okay to say something like that. It's not saying that parents have no guidance. And it's not saying that parents have no leadership. Kids still need a leader. They still need a coach and a mentor and a guide. But that means that they might have questions. And it means that sometimes it's not the right time to ask that question. So if you're saying, I need you to get out of the street, and they're saying, but why do you need me to get out of the street? It's like, now's not the time. I need you to get out of the street. It's important. They get out of the street and they say, okay, I needed you to get out of the street because there was a car coming really fast. I didn't have time to explain it to you. Obviously, that's okay. When we find ourselves in situations that are frustrating or challenging, or for me, who is not always best at keeping my temper, you have something called the stop, breathe, anchor technique, and you say that it can help parents stay calm in those challenging situations. So can you explain that a little bit more? Absolutely. It's one of my favorite techniques. And I think it's the one technique that when you read the book, if you implement this one, you'll see change almost immediately. And so the idea is that we are humans as parents, just like our kids. And so we get flooded with emotions. We have our own past traumas, our past experiences, our past beliefs and thoughts that are going to affect the way that we take or perceive the actions or behaviors of our kids. And so when our kid is not listening, let's give that as an example. We've said something multiple times. They're not listening to us. We may have grown up not feeling heard, not feeling like people listen to our ideas, not feeling like our ideas were important. Now that we're the parent and we've got our own kid, it's like, wait a second, you don't even think that I'm important? So it's bringing up all these ideas, all these thoughts of like, wow, they don't even respect me. Like my voice really isn't important. Now you're not obviously thinking all those things in the moment, but it is some of the stuff that's in the background. And so the way to stop that from flooding your mind, to stop the emotions from leading you to blow up, to lose your cool, I've come up with something called Stop Breathe Anchor. And the idea is you want to remind your brain that you are safe, that your child is not a threat to you, that your child is not out to attack you, that you are going to be okay. And so the way to do that is to literally stop everything you're doing. Instead of going into fix it mode, just stop, plant your feet on the ground, stop moving, stop talking, stop interacting, stop everything. And that isn't for 10 minutes. We're not sitting down and doing like a meditation. We're literally stopping for a second. Then we're taking a big deep breath in. And sometimes I take a couple of seconds for this one, or I'll put my hand on my heart to really just ground myself and remind my body, like you are safe, you are okay. But that oxygen to your brain helps remind your brain you're okay. Because when you shut off oxygen to your brain, your brain is like, hey, whoa, what's going on here? There must be a problem. And when your brain is on high alert, you're going to be more susceptible to losing your cool, to saying things you don't want to, to interacting in a way you don't want to. And so then the final piece is before you ever get in that situation, coming up with something I call an anchor, which is something that reminds your brain that you're okay, that you can get through this. And that anchor is different for every different person. And it's not about going and downloading 20 affirmations. It's about finding one thing that helps you know you're safe. And so for a lot of parents, that is the memory of holding their baby when their baby first was born. 
And if that was a traumatic experience, choose something else. But this is one example. And I go into lots more examples in the book. But being able to see your baby as a human that just has needs. They're crying because they're hungry, because they're tired, or because they need to be held. We forget that. We don't usually get upset at our newborn baby because they're crying. And usually we can have a lot of empathy for that. But when that crying turns into words like, I hate you, or no, I won't, or you can't make me, suddenly it has a lot of different weight. But it is your child saying, I'm struggling. I'm having a hard time. I need you. And so whatever anchor you need in that moment, if you've created it ahead of time and you've practiced when you pee or you practice when you're at a stoplight, you practice when you're washing your hands, it becomes innate. It becomes instinctual when you're in the heat of the moment and when things are at their worst. I'm thinking of a moment I had this morning with my son. We asked him not, I don't know what it is about little boys and butt, poop. I'm trying to understand why that's so frustrating. I'm not being heard, I guess. And so would you say I could use this technique in that kind of thing? Absolutely. So when you're trying to figure out what anchor is going to work, I would be diving into like, why did that bother you so much? And so if you can anchor in something that reminds you, there is probably proof that he doesn't walk all over you. There's probably proof that he does love you and respect you but that he's just silly, right? He's just being a boy or he's just being playful, that he's not doing this to you. If you can anchor in that thought of this isn't about me, then in the moment you can get through it. You can say, you know what? I don't like hearing this. I'm going to go in the other room or I don't like hearing this. If you need to talk like that, can you do it in your room? Mm -hmm. And that helps most if you've done it ahead of time. If you said, you know what, this morning at breakfast, I didn't like the way I responded. Dad didn't like the way he responded, but we also had asked you multiple times to not use potty humor. And I get that that's funny for you. And so I'd like to come up with a plan where you can have your humor and then you also can stop doing it when we're wanting a calm, quiet space. Yeah. So I use something like that a lot. My boys are older. They're 16 and 18 now. They'll listen to music that I do not want to listen to. I've done a lot of advocating for my own needs and say, that's really loud to me. That hurts my ears. I'm really stressed out right now. I need quiet. We've come up with plans of when I'm overwhelmed, they can put their headphones on or they can listen to it in their room or they can go somewhere else to do it. When my son was really little and he was using potty words, we always said, well, those are potty words. Those feel like those belong in the bathroom. Do you need to go to the bathroom? And he would go in the bathroom and he'd get it all out. And then he'd come back out and he'd be like, okay, I'm good now. Like I just needed to get that out. The bigger picture, the unraveling of it, and this is why it's not a one size fits all. It's why it's not a magic button. It doesn't solve it all is because we've just talked about the you piece of Stop, Breathe, Anchor. But there's so much more. There's the connection and the understanding and the empowerment piece. The understanding out of the moment is what is he actually getting out of this? Is he getting connection? Is he wanting to connect with you guys? Is he wanting to be silly? Is he wanting to be playful and be heard? And he doesn't know any other way to be silly and playful with you guys. So maybe there's other songs you guys could come up with that he could play and sing when he's feeling silly. Yes, that's great advice. And with parenting, I just have to keep coming back to it's not that serious. This isn't that serious. 
I was talking to you about relationship and how it really is about our relationship and we want to cultivate good relationships. We work really hard on cultivating relationships with our friends. And I don't know, why do we give our friends more respect than our children? Again, I do not do this perfectly. I'm a really intense mom sometimes, but I'm just trying really hard to bring it to that prefrontal cortex and the reality of the moment. And it makes it a lot easier and better when you can just let it go and don't pick every battle that you find yourself in. And not everything is a battle because you've made it that way. You've heightened it. Well, and one of the anchors that a lot of the people in my community will use is now is not the time, meaning it's okay to address this, but now it's not that important, right? It's not life or death. It's not going to change the trajectory of our day. If he sings these silly songs this morning, it's not going to ruin our day. It's going to ruin our day if we get mad about it and we cause a fight about it, right? Then it's going to ruin our day. But if he just sings for a couple of minutes and it's over, now is not the time, right? So that's been an anchor that people will use. And it has to be something that you believe. So you said it's not that serious. Well, if you believe it's serious and you're trying to use an anchor of it's not that serious, it's not that serious, you're almost kind of placating yourself and you're kind of washing over your true feelings and emotions. So it has to be something you actually believe. Absolutely. So timeouts, let's talk about timeouts. This could have been a moment where we did timeout, we didn't end up doing that. But you say that there are better alternatives. What are those alternatives? Yeah, I think there's a lot better alternatives. I think there's a pause. We can take breaks from our kids. We can say, I need to step away or you're having a hard time. If the siblings are fighting, you two need a break. You need to step away from each other. The break is not the problem. The time away is not the problem. The isolation and the punishment aspect of it is what isn't solving the problem. And so what we want to do instead is we want to get through the moment. We want to keep the connection as much as possible. And then afterwards, we want to revisit. And that's where a lot of parents don't come back is we want to revisit after and say, okay, this thing happened. Here are my concerns. They share their concerns. They share what was going on. And you come up with a new plan. You teach skills. You get to the bottom of what was really going on. Why were they actually doing that thing? And so a timeout doesn't actually teach skills. A timeout doesn't actually meet the needs of whatever was under the surface. All it does is like give that time and space. That's the good thing about a timeout. But for a child who might be repeating things or asking questions, they might be seeking that connection and safety. And that's really why they're doing the thing they're doing. And so by giving them a timeout, you're actually giving them the opposite thing that they need. Yeah, absolutely. It's funny. Sometimes whenever my kids are fighting, my son will just go to his room and be alone. And I think he does have that innate ability or it's curious to see how he will step away. And again, everyone's personality is different. It'll be curious to see how that grows as he gets older. But I've heard that our kids don't need to be isolated. They need to learn that understanding. Going back to what you were saying earlier, they need the understanding and we're here to guide them with that. So, And they need us and our calm presence to help them get to calm as well. So they need us as our model. And the big word for that is co-regulation. They need us to be present with them to have our calm body. You can be frustrated in the moment. You're human. And so if you're sitting there and you're going, this is really hard for me. It's really loud. I'm just going to take my deep breaths. Mm -hmm. You're now modeling. You're speaking out loud how you're getting through this frustration. And then out of the moment, you can create plans for when you're arguing with your brother, 
where's your safe place? When you're feeling frustrated, where's your safe place? And you can create safe places around the house that are places they can go. So my daughter used to go behind a chair. My son used to go to his room. We have safe places all around our house. And our kids are much older now, but my daughter will go to the bed or she will go to the couch. And she doesn't really want me right next to her. So I sit on the other side of the couch or on the other side of the room and she'll say, leave me alone. And I'll say, okay, but I want you to know I'm here for you. And I just step on the other side of the room. So she still knows. And then I come check in and I say, are you ready yet? She says, no. So some people might say, well, that's the same as a timeout, but the framing of it is very different. She knows she's not in trouble for having emotions. She knows she's not in trouble for whatever it is she's doing that's causing her to be dysregulated or struggling. And she knows I'm there when she's ready to problem solve at the end. Yeah. Just being a presence that they know that they can come back to. That's important. All right. Well, I always try to give my listeners as many practical examples as possible because that's what I always take away from podcasts. So do you have any other real life examples that you discuss in the book or that you want to share with the listeners? Yeah. So in the book, every single step that I walk parents through also has a real life example. So there's over 20 stories from other parents inside the book. But a couple of examples, let's say I know it's near back to school time. So the one that's kind of popping up for me right now is the child who's refusing to go to school. What was happening, this was an in-the-moment plan, and the concept is get closer and lower to your child. And so at this point, the parent would say, oh, it's time for school, and the kid would run away, and they would hide. So then the parent would chase and say, oh, we're not doing this again, and they would get into this big fight over school. They went through a lot of those steps before this step. And so they had gotten to a place where the kid did trust the mom. And so now, instead of chasing the kid, the mom would get closer to where the kid is. And a lot of times he was under the bed hiding. And she would say, can you just give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down on how you're feeling about school? And without saying anything, he would give a thumbs up or a thumbs down. And if he gave a thumbs down, she would say, okay, I'm right here waiting for you. And she would just stay laying on the floor next to the bed. And it sounds like, okay, great. I'm just not letting them go to school. But really, the fight lasts so much longer trying to get them to school than the pause and the waiting with them and the processing with them. And so she focused on progress instead of focusing on, do I get them to school or not get them to school? That absolute. And so she started tracking, oh, I got him. He's not hiding under his bed anymore. He's getting to the kitchen table before he starts to get freaked out about school. Or he's getting in the car. This morning we got in the car. Okay, now we're getting to the parking lot. Now we're finding a safe person at school that is taking him and sitting in the office with him. Or he's making it the first period. He's making it till recess. And so eventually her son started going to school every single day. And she posted at the beginning of the school year last year and was like, I'm sitting here and I'm in shock because my kid just went to school. No problems. So it is a journey. And that's what I want people to know is that I think as parents were fed this belief or this lie that you're going to try something and immediately you're going to see a change and it's going to be magical. But that doesn't happen. We're talking about real humans. We're talking about real lives. And so just knowing that it takes time, it takes patience, it takes iterations to your plan for it to really work. And even in the book, this get closer and get lower, I talk about it might not work. And here's why it might not work. And if you're seeing this, 
try this instead. And so it's about those small tweaks and then keep coming back to that plan, just one piece at a time. Yeah, absolutely. Another thing I've learned, I've been parenting for almost nine years and I was a nanny for many years before that. But one of the things I've learned is that time that you put forth that day that the child ran away and hid under the bed. Maybe that time was so much shorter than if you're chasing your kid around the house or yelling and causing your cortisol to rise. It might take a little bit of your effort on the front end, but it is going to cause fewer problems long term. And you're going to have to spend less time if you just do that. I was thinking about we were at the pool or something and I was trying to get my boys to listen and I was sitting on the chair. I was shouting across. I'm like the only parent that was like, hey, kids, come here. And I'm like, no, I need to get off my butt, walk across and talk to them because I look kind of crazy. But also I just need to put in the effort. That's my job. I'm a mom. When we get closer, when we get down on their level, one, it disengages what we look like and disarms us, right? So we no longer look like a bear coming at our kids. We can be shouting and super happy. If we're like, hey kids, it's time for dinner. Come on down. All they hear is mom is yelling. She must be mad. They don't really know what we're saying. And I forget it too. I'll be in the kitchen and my husband will be like closer and lower, honey. I'm like, ah, you know, they're old enough. Just come down. So that's the benefit of having an 18 year old. I can text to be like, it's time to come to dinner. You know, like, (laughs) so at least I don't have to always walk up to their room. But it is that it's that split second of like, do I want to yell? this across the room or across the park and you're totally normal. This is super common. So you're definitely maybe in that moment, you felt like the only one yelling, but this is a really common practice and it changes your relationship so much just by doing that closer and lower. You'll actually notice your kids will start moving closer to you to hear what you're saying instead of you always being the one that has to move closer to them. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely worth it. Well, Dana, where can listeners find you online and grab a copy of your book? If you're interested in the book, you can go to calmthechaosbook.com. You can grab a free chapter if you're not quite sure if this book is for you. But if you know it's for you, you can grab the book anywhere where books are sold. Put in your receipt and we have got some awesome bonuses for you. And then as far as finding me online, you can go to any social channel and I am at Calm the Chaos Parenting. Perfect. Well, before we wrap things up, I always ask my guests two questions. And the first one is, what has been a beneficial resource in your life that you want to share with the listeners? The thing that is the biggest resource for me in parenting has been a community. Somewhere where I feel seen and heard, I feel accepted as I am. I can show up even on my really bad days, even as the leader of the community, I show up and say, today was really hard. Here's what happened. And I think that without that community, I don't know that I would be where I am today. And I think that we all as parents need a support system. Yes, I definitely say amen to that. It has been so helpful in my life, especially navigating homeschooling or faith or whatever it is that you have going on in your life. You need your tribe of people surrounding you for sure. All right. Well, my last question is, what is something that you can't stop talking about? Well, I think right now I can't stop talking about the book. I hope it's okay that I say that, but I'm really excited about this book. The response has been unbelievable watching people just pick it up and thumb through and find a doodle or a visual that resonates with them. I'm really excited about the fact that this is a book that doesn't add more to your to-do list or leave you feeling like you're judged or there's more to feel ashamed of, but instead that parents can know that they are not alone, they're not failing, and their kids aren't 
broken. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you said the little doodles throughout because you have these little, you do call them doodles. <laughs> they, are, they are really rudimentary stick figures. I am yeah, not the world's best at drawing. So. Yeah. Oh, did you draw those? <laughs> I did. I did. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. Well, yes. I hope that people check out your book. I think this conversation was incredibly helpful. So thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. What did you think of the episode? I hope you enjoyed the conversation. To learn more about today's guest, including links, resources related to everything discussed today, visit the episode page at minimalistmomspodcast.com, where you can find the entire podcast archive, as well as my book, Minimalist Moms Living and Parenting with Simplicity, or other ways to connect or work with me online. If you'd like to support the podcast, the easiest and most impactful thing you can do is subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave a rating or review of your favorite episode. Lastly, sharing the show or your favorite episode with friends on social media is very helpful and will encourage others on their journey to think more and do with less.